in a, a car, for example, I, I tend to doubt that that's going to get regulated to the point where those Chinese chip makers can't sell those products. So I think they'll actually be okay. I don't think it's going to have the same kind of effect that it, that it had on Huawei. And China's criticized these restrictions, saying it's going to harm supply chains and the world economy. That, that's pretty true, isn't it? In fact, it's going to harm U.S. chip makers as well. We've already seen some uh, pretty sharp revenue downgrades. And what's clear is uh, uh, demand for chips globally is, uh, is declining quite rapidly. So this is coming at a bad time. Yeah, I, I think that if you're if you're an advanced advanced technology company in the U.S., advanced chip maker, or you you've got the ability to make the fabs, or you have the IP. This is tough for you because China really was sort of the the key market to mm. sell to, and if that market dries up, it, it it really does hurt these firms. So it's this really is kind of a unfortunately a, a little bit of sort of you know, shooting yourself in the foot from the American perspective because it doesn't help these high tech businesses, and the reality is is that they can't easily make up those sales gains anywhere else. And it's it's kind of, you know, it's nice of the U.S. government to say, hey, we're going to be investing, you know, X billion dollars in localized manufacturing, fabrication plants, et cetera, in the U.S. But the reality is it's going to take many, many years before a lot of that goes online. And that still is only going to be a drop in the bucket compared to what's happening in China. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of see this as a little bit of a lose-lose situation for everybody. Okay, Ben, thank you very much. That's Ben Cavender, Managing Director at the China Market Research Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the markets right now, the ASX 200 off 1.4%. Markets in Japan are closed for a holiday, but the Cosby in South Korea down a quarter of a percent. And it looks like the Hang Seng is going to open with losses of about 340 points. Thank you very much for listening this morning. I'll be back tomorrow at 8 o'clock. Back chat's coming up after the news with Jim Gordon, Mike Krause. The weather forecast, fine and dry. Uh, maximum temperature around 28 degrees. Mainly fine in the next few days. Uh, there is a red fire danger warning in force and a strong monsoon signal. 22 degrees, 58% relative humidity. Time's 8.32. Here's Ben Che with the half-hour news. The hospital authority says it's expanding its remote consultation services so more patients can benefit, especially those in rural areas. The platform allows eligible patients to make appointments and seek advice from doctors via an app without having to visit clinics or hospitals in person. More than 45,000 patients have used the service since its launch two years ago. Joanna Pang, a chief medical informatics officer at the authority, says those invited to the scheme tend to be the chronically ill who are in a stable condition. For the uh, patient selection, most of the time we will select those patients we consider as stable or maybe we, we mention is having a chronic disease such that the uh, appointed consultation most of the time during the follow-up uh, we may uh, use the telemedicine or the teleconsultation to follow up the case. North Korea says its recent missile tests were tactical nuclear drills. The state media said all seven were personally supervised by the North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. The BBC's Sophie Glass-Ryan reports. North Korea's official KCNA news agency said the military drills held during the last two weeks were to assess the country's war deterrent and nuclear counterattack capability. It said the exercises involved ballistic missiles with fake nuclear warheads and were conducted to target enemy airfields and ports. The latest launch on Sunday saw two short-range missiles fired in the direction of the Sea of Japan. 
Pyongyang said its missile tests were in response to large-scale joint Navy exercises by the US and South Korea, which have just finished off the Korean peninsula's east coast. Although North Korea said its nuclear combat force stood ready to hit targets, there is no indication that Pyongyang is preparing for an imminent real strike. And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about the Mandatory Provident Fund, uh, the MPF which has had a bit of a rough time in the first nine months of this year, reporting a loss in total assets of nearly $260 billion for the period amid a challenging economic environment. It was the worst performance since it launched uh, 22 years ago and equates to a loss of $56,500 on average per person. Meanwhile, the Mandatory Provident Fund Schemes Authority expressed a concern about a rising trend of defaults since the pandemic began. From April to August this year, it sent out about 29,000 notices each month to employers who didn't make contributions on time, 15% more than during the same period last year. If you want to join the conversation, let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And after 9.15, we'll look at the plastic bag levy as the government plans to double the charge to $1 from the end of December. We're joined uh, now on the line by uh, Jason Clark, director of the research firm MPF Ratings, uh, Cynthia Hoy, acting chief operating officer of the Mandatory Provident Fund Schemes Authority, and uh, Charles Brook, uh, chairman of uh, Hong Kong Investment Funds uh, Association's Pensions Subcommittee. Um, good morning to you all. Perhaps, um, Cynthia Hoy, if we could come to you first. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Hi. Hi. So uh, it has been a challenging time uh, economically in the past few months. Obviously, uh, MPF accounts uh, are strongly uh, linked to the equities markets uh, here in the mainland, in the US or whatever. Uh, um, how do you account uh, for uh, the downturn in the MPF overall assets in the past nine months? Um, we can certainly understand the concern of people about the downturn, and um, I think we all understand the investment market fluctuates from time to time. And yes, it is a, a, a rough time, but then um, we want to encourage people to uh, not to react um, uh, to um, uh, instantly to, to this sort of um, fluctuation because, um, after all, NPS um, investment uh, for retirement is a long-term, mm. long-term um, investment, and um, it can spend over 40 years. Um, there are we've seen we've actually seen short-term fluctuations quite a bit in the in the last 22 years, and um, if I can. Um, Sort of talk about some statistics in the last 27 years, as uh, 21 years, uh, 14 of those years we've actually seen positive returns, and in the rest of the years we've seen negative return. And um, what we see is usually after a market downturn in uh, in a year, um, the, it will actually rebound. The investment return will actually rebound. Um, I can name one example, which is um, which is um, back in the. Uh, uh, 
the days of the um, financial tsunami. We can remember that that was back in uh, 2008. Yeah. The um, return was actually lower than negative um, 30%. I'm, I'm not sure whether people mm. can actually still remember <laughs> those days, but it was actually quite quite poor, the return that year, negative 30%, uh, actually lower than that, a bit lower than that. I think it was 30.2%. Um, but then in the following two years, the market has actually rebounded and the um, average NPF um, account's um, return uh, was 26.6% in the following year and then another 7.8% positive. In both, uh, in both years, immediately after the bad year, um, so to speak. And that actually compensated more than the negative return in that particular one year. So that's why we, we have been encouraging people not to um, react too quickly and, and start um, um, changing their investment options. Um, it's because um, you can actually result in a, in a situation where you, you had bought high and selling low, it's not, um, it's not very advisable to, to sort of um, switch to a, a, a another fund during this sort of um, high volatility uh, situation. And also um, another point I, I, I want to mention is the um, dollar cost averaging um, effect. Um, in fact, if we keep contributing into your account or even make contrib- uh, voluntary contributions into your NPF account during this time, you're actually buying low because the unit prices are very low at, at, at this sort of, in this sort of situation. And you can actually buy more units with the same amount of money, which means that you can actually accumulate more funds in your NPF account, um, which, um, which in the long run is a good thing. So, um, I hope that gives people some some comfort, although I, I, I fully understand why people are, are, are so concerned about the, um, the situation. Right. Um, Miss Hoi, good, good morning. It, this has been quite a shock to the morale of many people who signed up for the MPF. I mean, we talked about an average loss of 56,000, but of course, average hide. I mean, a friend of mine is very concerned. She said, I've just lost $200,000. And there'll be other individuals who the value of their MPF has gone down by much more than that, um, masked by the average. So do you think the faith in the MPF scheme has been shaken a bit? Um, um, actually, I think that um, uh, the, the, these sort of uh, market volatility affects um, any, any investor. And, and also, it's not just the MPF scheme. Um, if you look around the, the, the world, we have um, many places who have implemented system like the um, mandatory provident fund system, um, and we're not the first one. In other places, the, um, uh, uh, the, the, the market has also been fluctuating and um, the return has not been good. But I think it's a, it's a, um, uh, uh, a, a market trend uh, around the globe. So I, I don't think people should be too concerned about that. And um, if for those people who are reaching retirement, um, uh, in fact, we advise that um, if they are, if they, if they are uh, okay with that, they can actually leave their money in the NPF system. There is um, no requirement for people to actually withdraw 
money from the from the NPF system as soon as they reach the age of 65. So they, right. they can yeah. actually leave the money in there a little bit and um, wait till it rebounds. I mean, it's a, uh, the, the cycle of the um, investment world. I think we've, we've seen a lot of that. Um, okay. It goes up and down sure. all the time. That, uh, yeah. that, that, that's a very good point uh, for people who are coming up to retirement. And uh, at this point, um, let's bring in uh, Charles Brook, chairman of the Hong Kong Investment Funds Association's uh, Pension Subcommittee, because um, your organization was uh, re recommending that the uh, the MPF authority look at uh, a particular investment schemes for the over 65s who decide to leave their money uh, in their accounts for the time being yes uh, thank you good morning, good morning. Um, so uh, the the Hong Kong investment funds um, association has um, has put together a set of recommendations to the, the MPFA in regards to those who um, are over 65, which, as we know, accounts for a, an increasingly large portion of the Hong Kong population. In that regard, we believe that um, for the decumulation phase or that phase post-retirement in which items such as income replacement uh, and managing volatility are particularly important in order to ensure that members retain their nest egg that they've saved through the accumulation phase uh, and that's protected accordingly means that um, there needs to be a slightly different uh, perhaps set of regulations guiding the post-retirement phase, which could um, include constituent funds that are dedicated only uh, for those over 65, with a different set of regulations which would allow, for example, uh, income distributions or income payouts to be paid out of the MPF system, as well as potentially income um, distributing asset classes being used and more flexibility around that. We believe that uh, will facilitate an improvement in a product innovation for conscription funds for those over 65, but also uh, to Cynthia's point, improve the number of uh, MPF investors who stay invested over 65, remain within the scheme, and potentially also benefit from the lower MPF fees that we see uh, of MPF products relative to those uh, in the retail market, where typically investors may have to go if they are to take their assets out of the MPF scheme uh, at that 65-year-old uh, stage. But we are still dependent, aren't we? Good morning, Mr. Brook. We're still dependent on the overall health of the economy. That is, that is certainly correct. Uh, very much so dependent on the, uh, the overall health of the economy. And in that regard, we would um, also advocate potentially for increased education for MPF investors uh, as they move towards that um, age 65 phase to, to benefit from those um, different regulations. That can involve potentially support for de-risking their portfolios so that nest egg that they've built up is better protected um, and education around how they could do that as well as education on the types of investment options they could have when they reach over 65. So to ensure that um, the types of drawdowns that we've seen in, in markets this year, they're potentially as well insulated from those and they can protect their pension pots as best as possible once they re reach that plus 65 stage. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, let's bring in uh, Jason Clark, a director of the research firm uh, MPF Ratings. Good morning to you. Good morning, Jim. Jason Clark. Good morning, everyone. Thanks, Thanks for, for having me on today. Okay, thank you for joining um, us. So, what, so what do you think about the, the prospects for a recovery in in uh, you know in MPF accounts over the next well over the next three months before and the end and into next year? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I can remember in twenty twenty. Uh, sending out a press release and celebrating the MPF industry hitting $1 trillion. And then mm. last year, it's uh, reaching $1.2 uh, trillion. Uh, but here we are today um, with, with an effective loss of uh, accumulated member assets of um, $258 billion, bringing it down under $1 trillion. We, we mm. might 
to comment on the NPF industry, whether the news be good or bad, to bring transparency to uh, those saving. And, and we've raised uh, some good points today. So certainly the younger members who have a long runway for retirement um, can, can ride out the global losses that are not confined to Hong Kong. Um, and there's geopolitical issues uh, all around the globe. Um, those closer to retirement, as, as we've just talked about, they're the ones that are really impacted by this uh, scenario right now, where if you're contemplating retirement, um, you've just taken a, a you know, significant hit to your nest egg. Um, for some people, they, they have to keep working. And to, uh, for others, um, they have to perhaps change their investment strategy or find income from elsewhere. So they're, they're very real, very difficult. Um, times for, for people to comprehend right now. What do you think um, of the prospects of the, what, for what's the MPF? Interesting, sorry. Yeah, go, yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, I, Keep think, going. I think this is where you're going. Um, yeah. What's interesting is that the uh, day after we issued our press release, the Hong Kong stock market rebounded 6%, mm -hmm. uh, which is a huge one day turnaround. Um, obviously, things flattened a little since then, but it, that's the point um, that we, we need to remember for uh, investors is that it, the NPF is a framework for long-term savings. Um, what we've experienced has happened before, and the rebound has historically been pretty sharp, as in um, losses have been regained uh, very quickly. Often, uh, say, in the 2008 global financial crisis, um, the losses were gained or regained within, within a year. So I think uh, what's important is, despite it being very difficult for investors right now, uh, it, it's very important to, to identify that the, uh, the return of uh, positive investment markets could come back very, very quickly. Um, to switch out into cash um, could be very, very, very disappointing for many investors. So that example I just provided with a 6% turnaround mm -hmm. in the Hong Kong market, mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that might take you three years to get back if you switch into cash. Mm -hmm. Cynthia, how are you? So I remain positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good, good. Okay, that's and, good to hear. And certainly there's, there's $12 billion a month being um, put into the MPF system from uh, from, Hong, from the 4.6 million Hong Kong workers. So it's a, it's a very buoyant pool of money. Um, that should continue to grow and be boosted with uh, global investment markets when, when conditions improve. Mm. Um, Cynthia Hoy, yes. you were making the point uh, earlier, as uh, Jason Clark just did, uh, um, uh, and Charles Brook. I mean, the, the MPF, it, it, it's a long-term uh, retirement plan, and the public are advised not to chase the market. But, um, okay. I mean, um, it is possible to put your funds into, uh, you know, a, a guaranteed account or, you know, isn't it, where, where you might not get much of a return, but uh, your losses are going to be limited if there's a downturn? few guarantee funds in the, mm. in the NPF market, but then I think one has to be um, uh, more careful about um, considering putting money into those funds because um, they usually come with certain conditions. It, it, it's not that they're bad, but they, um, as you can imagine, there's no, no free lunch. Um, with the guarantee funds, um, we are aware that most of them have certain um, 
a period where people are restricted in terms of whether they can they can um, switch out of the fund, and um, they may actually um, be charged certain penalty if they if they switch out of the fund early. And um, also, these guarantee funds um, they they usually have a higher charge because of the um, guarantee charge. So I, I I would encourage people to to um, think about it more carefully before before putting the, the money into those guarantee funds. I'm not saying that they're bad. They, they are there for a purpose, but um, people do need to consider that. And also, um, in the long run, um, I think we should look at um, whether the return can actually beat inflation. I think that's the most important. Um, uh, having a guarantee, but then um, the return doesn't beat inflation, that, that doesn't help in the long run either. Because right, you're not capturing the upside. Um, That's right, yes. Uh, you, you, you've got peace of mind, but you've lost the opportunity to win bigger uh, in line with overall economic growth. What do you think of yeah. the idea of having a different range of products for those over 65, um, encouraging mm -hmm. them to stay in, but mm -hmm. d different kinds of prod uh, products to attract them to stay in? Yeah, in fact, in fact, we we have started doing that um, two years ago, looking into that um, uh, that sort of initiative. Um, in uh, year 2020, we um, introduced to the industry what we call a retirement solutions lab. We encouraged the industry to to uh, come up with products that could actually um, provide a stable um, income uh, in the in the long run, in the in the decumulation years. And um, in fact, the um, the industry has responded um, pretty um, uh, positively to to the initiative. Uh, we already have um, three products, three providers um, uh, introducing products of that kind, which would actually provide um, uh, skin members with a stable return. Uh, I mean, a stable income stream in the decumulation years. And um, yes, we looked at the IFA's um, uh, suggestion, uh, which came out uh, uh, last week, and um, we'll be working closely with the industry. And I think some of their suggestions are, are good ones, and we've already done some of those. And um, I'm sure we can, um, together with the industry, improve on what we can do uh, in respect of the decumulation years. The NPF system has been there for 22 years, and in the past we've been focusing on the accumulation years because it's, uh, it's still a, a young system uh, uh, in respect of um, a, a retirement system taking 40 years to become mature. So um, we have reached a point where we, where we should look closely at the decumulation phase, and uh, we started doing that two years ago, and we'll continue to work with the industry. Now, we're in the process, aren't we, uh, of getting out of the offset arrangement um, uh, how, how is that going to be affected if at all by these very large movements in the market um, in fact the offsetting arrangement I, I don't think it has a very close relation with the um, with the uh, uh, the um, uh, volatility of the market and, and so on and so forth because um, the offsetting arrangement is about when a, an employee um, uh, is being laid off, what, what we call the uh, long service and service payment, right. like when, when they leave a, an, a, a, an employer. And the employer can actually, in this, those situations, uh, offset the amount. 
um, that they have paid into in, uh, over the years when that employee was that, with that employer um, uh, uh, for paying the service payment and the long service payment. So uh, I don't think there is a direct relationship between between the investment market and, and that. And, and I think the removal of the um, offsetting arrangement is a good one. Um, overall, for the for the system, and especially from from the authorities' point of view, because um, our main purpose is to protect uh, the um, interests of the scheme members and um, uh, protecting their benefits and uh, 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 making sure that they that those benefits stay in the NPF system, stay in their account um, before they reach retirement is is an important thing, and I think it's a very good initiative. Um, Charles Brook, in terms of uh, returns versus inflation, which uh, Cynthia Hoy mentioned just now, so uh, looking at the figures, so the annualised return of the MPF is at 2.8% since its uh, inception, and uh, that compares with an inflation rate during the same period of 1.8%. So in, in that respect, uh, it's doing OK. I mean, would you say that the, the MPF uh, you know, has, has been a, a success from that point of view? Uh, certainly, I think in um, Echo Cynthia's points, the MPF has has been a success in in terms of providing uh, investor returns over the last uh, just over two decades now mm. since, uh, since, since inception. However, I think we have to also think about that question in the context of the uh, the macro environment that we face uh, and perhaps a paradigm shift in terms of financial markets based on the the current challenges around inflation, increasing interest rates that we haven't really seen. Uh, for over a decade, and also uh, recessionary fears, volatility, as, as Jason mentioned, has, has dramatically increased this year. And in that new macroeconomic environment that we expect to exist for, for a fairly extended period, I think it's also important to consider uh, the types of asset classes or investment types that are going to allow you to continue to to beat that inflation um, target that you mentioned at 1.8% over over the much longer term uh, as, as scheme members look to accumulate um, their assets. In that regard, we, we at the Hong Kong IFA also feel there's the potential for the, us to work very closely with the MPFA to perhaps slightly increase the investment scope. To date, the investment scope of the MPF has, has been fairly restrictive in terms of the types of asset classes that can be allocated to. We think certainly in the short term, uh, given the environment we're going into, there may be the potential to, to invest in a wider that range of asset classes, including those uh, such as infrastructure, real assets that have higher expected returns and also lower correlations to the current um, asset classes that, that are available within the MPF scheme, as well as a greater inflation protection potentially over time. So an increase in the, in the, in the types and number of asset classes will give scheme members um, increased optionality, but also uh, give fund managers better tools in which to manage uh, the new macroeconomic environment that we expect, and we expect that to persist for, for an extended period. Are you concerned about the increasing the number of employers who are making their contributions late? I see from the introduction that we're talking about 29,000 notices a month. That seems like rather a lot. Hmm. Uh, Cynthia Hoy, would you like to answer that? Yeah, yes, hmm. yes, I can do that. Um, uh, yes, we have seen um, increase um, in the last two years or so in terms of um, employers not making um, contributions for their employees or making them late. Um, uh, the, the figure that you just mentioned, the 22% they are payment notices issued to uh, the employers. Uh, let me explain a little bit. Um, the contributions are made to the NPF trustees and the NPF trustees report to us 
um, on a monthly basis because the contributions are made on a monthly basis. If they suspect a, a uh, an employer um, is uh, is not making contributions for for an employer that they should be, um, so um, uh, what we do is we we take um, the action immediately and um, issue payment notices to these employers um, who are suspected not to have made contributions and ask them to pay up. Um, the payment notices figure that you just mentioned that have gone up 22 percent. That was comparing the year 2019 to 20 um, with the. Uh, year that has just gone past, which is 2021 to 22. And um, we reckon that there is a... a, a, a it is um, actually mainly due to the pandemic because um, uh, of, of the situation, the economic situation, and um, business being becoming more, doing business becoming more difficult. Um, but then, if we look at um, uh, the cases that we need to investigate, so after after issuing the payment notices, uh, most of the um, a large number of the employers will actually respond to our payment notices and pay up. So I, I would say that um, in Hong Kong, the, com- the employers are, are still largely very compliant. And in terms of number of cases that we need to investigate, um, which is um, the employer not responding to our notices, um, has gone up by less than, a bit less than that amount. And the number of cases that we had to investigate um, like two and a half years ago was 39,000. And the number of cases that we had to um, uh, investigate into last year was 45,000. So the increase was about 15%, not, not as... Um, uh, uh, high as the uh, as the previous number, which was 22%. Um, but I, I would also like to um, make a point. Um, we just had a a, um, a big event last Thursday, which is um, what we call the GMEA event, the Good MPF Employer Awards Ceremony that we held last Thursday. And uh, despite the difficult situation for the employers, this year we have a record high number of employers receiving this award. Um, the, the number is actually 1,903 employers. It's a record at nine since we started having this award eight years ago. So um, despite in this um, difficult situation, I think the employers in Hong Kong are still trying to look after their, their employees and also um, understanding the difficult situation and uh, employees' concern about default contributions. We okay. are stepping up um, a number of measures ourselves in the authority. There are two things that right. we're doing. That's, that's- that's good news. That's good news. I've, I've, I'm sorry, um, I'm sorry, Miss Holly. I'm going to have to interrupt you there because we've got to take a break for the news coming up uh, at nine o'clock. But uh, but thank you for speaking to us on the program this morning. That was uh, Cynthia Hoy, acting chief operating officer of the MPF Schemes Authority. Thanks very much to uh, Charles Brook. Um, uh, Jason Clark is going to stay with us until nine fifteen. Um, quick look at the weather. It's currently twenty two degrees, humidity fifty six percent. The red fire danger warning and the strong monsoon signals are in effect. Country. Despite internet blackouts imposed by the authorities, videos are continuing to emerge of widespread unrest. You're listening to the news on RTHK. And welcome back to Backchat with Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould. And this morning we're talking about the mandatory Provident Fund. Uh, that's uh, after results for the first nine months of this year showed uh, quite a substantial loss, uh, $260 billion in, in total assets uh, during the period. And that equated to a loss of $56,500 on average per person. But of course, the, the advice 
advice is, as always, uh, uh, don't panic. It's a long-term uh, investment product. Um, don't try and chase the market. And, um, and 14 of the past 22 years have been positive. So um, uh, sit tight, essentially, but... Um, uh, be alert and watch out. We're, we're joined um, on the line still with us is Jason Clark, director of the research firm MPF Ratings, and we're also now joined uh, on the line by Andy Kwan, director at ACE Centre for Business and Economic uh, Research. Mike. Um, Mr Kwan, good morning. Um, good morning. We were, just before the nine o'clock news, we were getting into the area of whether there should be expansion of scope for uh, investment opportunities, maybe we're a bit narrow at the moment. Uh, should we be looking at a wider range of products, do you think? Well, I don't think a wider range of products will uh, lead to a better result. Because right now, we, in my opinion, there are enough uh, products uh, in the MPF uh, selection there. But the whole thing is there's a bad time. There's a very bad time in terms of invest, uh, investment. Uh, if you invest uh, like even bonds and stocks, you could end up like losing a lot of money. So, like, uh, I think the whole thing is about the external situations regarding like uh, global inflation to political uh, risk. Uh, these are the main two items which we cannot be uh, that cannot be controlled uh, unless we uh, the Fed can find some way to uh, to pull down global uh, inflation or the geopolitical. Uh, risk can can come down. Uh, otherwise, so we are still we can still uh, see a lot of headwinds ahead. So uh, I think the selections are enough, but the problem is the timing is bad. Uh, if you look at the the losses, it, yeah, it did. The, the losses are huge, but uh, we look at the long term investment, and the best thing to do is to try to diversify and look at how old you are and try to manage the uh, portfolio mix. That's the best thing you can do. Right. What about cryptocurrencies or um, non fungible tokens? Sorry? Uh, uh, cryptocurrencies. Should we be oh. allowing oh, no, investment no, no. in Bitcoin or Ethereum? Oh, or Bitcoin? No, no, no. It's high. It's even uh, if you put like a certain like uh, we call it financial in innovation. This time, uh, financial right. innovation are quite risky in terms of if you look at the volatility of the crypto or the Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin at one point it went up to about eighty six to eight thousand dollars per Bitcoin. Now it's only about nineteen thousand uh, dollars. If you introduce a highly uh, risky asset there. So basically, it really violates the principle of the long-term investment. Long-term investment is something like uh, you try to find something very secure to invest and try to protect your own principle. And at the same time, you try to diversify. So in terms of diversification, you don't need to put like a highly uh, risky asset there, especially Bitcoin. Bitcoin is not that... Uh, it's not safe at all because, like, uh, the volatility is too high. It's not suitable for for uh, for, for long-term investment because we just don't know, like, uh, when it pops, like, what will happen if you you collect your your MPF and uh, eventually you invest something in the very highly uh, highly risky. So I think I don't think it's a good idea to consider Bitcoin in in right. in, in this election. So but, you, uh, you're not a fan. Hmm? <laughs> you're not a fan of the <laughs> cryptocurrencies. Uh, yeah, I'm not a fan because I, I studied it. 
because its uh, volatility is too high. Even when people talk about Bitcoin, is like a money, like a, like a can serve a, a certain functions of money, but it does not like uh, it does not act like money because what will ha- what happens is like uh, the volatility is just too high. It's not suitable for uh, most of the uh, I think safe investors. They look for certain safe returns, and uh, that's that's my opinion. So, Jason Clark, okay, uh, no cryptocurrencies, but um, is there room to increase the investment scope? Yeah, you, you find I was, I was very quiet there on, <laughs> on that uh, topic of <laughs> crypto and NFTs. Um, I think that it, it, it actually talking about it is helpful um, because there, there would be a large proponent of um, consumers in Hong Kong that would like access to those asset classes. Um, but because they, they believe in them that they will build value. Uh, the proof isn't there just yet. Um, it, it's important to know at the moment that nearly every class, that nearly every asset class that we measure has gone backwards uh, calendar year to date. And it, it sounds funny saying this, but losing less is winning in, in, the, in the current environment. So it's, there's no real safe haven, and even cash is getting eroded. Um, because of inflation and, and other measures. So it's a very difficult time. But what um, what we probably don't want to see is the ability of uh, investors to choose or be able to choose across a wide range of, of single asset classes um, because a lot of these consumers or investors just aren't experienced or educated in the, the difference between the behaviours of, of types of classes. So... Again, everyone has an opinion on Bitcoin or crypto, and everyone has a, uh, uh, an opinion on the Hong Kong equity market. I mean, it's, um, it's very difficult to be across everything. Now, the, the one thing that should be pointed out, though, is that the NPF is heavily skewed to equities and bonds. Mm. And because of that, they're financial assets. And because of that, the volatility now is immense. And, and that is worth pointing out. Um, that's the construct of the uh, of the NPF. Um, as we were talking about before, um, there is no access to real assets like infrastructure or uh, direct property, international, local, um, and even private equity. Um, now, these asset classes often aren't marked to market regularly, so that volatility does disappear. And that's a long, long-term investing, which is the idea of the NPS, is, you know, uh, strong returns over a long time frame, forever, pretty much, for the life of Hong Kong. So I would expect in time that these additional asset classes should should be brought into the NPS um, with a less reliance on uh, you know, direct equities and, and bonds. Uh, Bitcoin and NFTs, crypto... Uh, I think that can wait a little longer. What sort of time span do you see a recovery overall? Are we looking the next two years, the next five years, or, or longer? I Well, no, no one knows. I, I would personally uh, hope um, within two years. I, I think the signals are obviously what's uh, happening in Ukraine and Russia. That's, that's one driver. Uh, the other is... Um, monetary policy in uh, developing nations uh, and advanced nations, obviously USA. Here, um, I spend a lot of time in Australia. You know, the cash rates being 
um, heavily manipulated that is slowing down now to uh, cater for inflation and, and uh, Australians hope that that inflation growth has, has dropped. Uh, the Fed in the US, again, you know, huge increases in uh, interest rates uh, to curb inflation. I think once we see that flattening out, um, we'll see a, a rebound in equity markets. I was a bit disturbed about the employer default, so I was very happy with Cynthia from MPFA stating that there hasn't been an experience of like major defaults for employers, because that that is a, that's a terrible signal for um, for the uh, economic environment. That if employers are going out of business, can't meet MPF contributions. That's uh, 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 certainly an early warning of, of trouble ahead. Right. Do you think the strong dollar? I, I, you know, do you think the strong dollar is hurting us? Uh, definitely, yes. Um, all, all of these things together. It's like a perfect mix of trouble at the, at the moment. Andy Cohen, what, what, what do you think? I say something about strong dollar yeah. here. Because like strong dollar, you have strong dollar, you have weak dollars. So what happened is like we should not focus on some technical behavior unless we look at the dollar strength is getting stronger and stronger become permanent. Otherwise, uh, strong dollars definitely hurt the uh, investment because like uh, especially invest in the uh, emerging markets. Because now you, we have seen a lot of uh, capital outflow there. But the thing we should consider is something like uh, for, for sure, the worst is still we haven't seen the worst. Because, like, uh, I think uh, the market will go lower and lower. But, but if you look at the long time, like a long term horizon, this like a five, ten years, even five, ten years correction, even a longer like this, a long, a long correction like this. Then you look forward like uh, 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 a big, a brighter day ahead. So as long as you have to consider your your age, if you are close to the uh, very close to your retirement age, then you should put your money in maybe money market in a guaranteed fund. Other than that, if you are young, and then, oh, no no problem if you lose uh, 90%, but 10 years later, you may gain another 100%. So I don't think it, we should, like, uh, focus on certain, like, uh, like uh, technical behavior, like strong dollars. Definitely, will. if you time the market, yes, you look at a strong dollars. If you don't time the market, what you should do is to diversify and consider how you are and try to position your, your investment. So I think the main thing is right now we have seen, we're, we're looking at a really like a, a very abnormal conditions. But the abnormal, oh, the abnormal conditions are, will, will get worse and worse until we hit the bottom. So, mm. But the point is, you look at the long-term investment. Don't really, uh, really uh, get, don't get panicked and uh, try to play safe. Play safe is basically put more money in money, money market fund or guaranteed fund. And that's, that's it. And it should not focus on equity fund or bond funds. It's not time to change anything into right. such a risk asset now. So you, do you think it could be another five or ten years before we arrive at a complete recovery? Um, five or ten years is like, a, like, a, like an exaggeration because you look at the... Um, i just to give you an example here, but mm -hmm. the correction may last another one or one year or mm. at least minimum because we're looking at a very like uh, a scenario which is quite close to financial tsunami because once we have supply disruptions and we have uh, COVID-19 of course we have a global inflation we have geopolitical crisis and you view of the risk of the geopolitical crisis now is even like um, we haven't seen it for the past 20 30 years 
So in this case, it's very hard to predict. But I, one thing I can see is the worst is not over. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're going to see the worst, okay? But the problem is once you hit the bottom, it's going to bounce back. It's going to rebound. And that's it. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, when you look at MPF, we should not time the MPF. We should not time the market. We just have to play safe, try to diversify. And in this case, if you ask me how to invest in MPF, I would just put most of my money in money fund or guaranteed fund. At least I can protect my my, my, my original investment. Mm-hmm. So your message is sit tight. And wait, wait, we just all got to wait until the market comes back. Uh, yeah, you better wait. Otherwise, you just uh, slug it out. And uh, But it's like this. For the past, like, uh, if you look at history, we have money booms, we have money busts. And just boom and bust between. And now it's hitting bottom. If you hit the bottom, and but let's wait, uh, wait out and, and then wait for the better day. But in this case, but um, we just don't know when we are going to see the better day. But uh, according to history, like, uh, you, have a, you have troughs. And you have, uh, you have peak and troughs. Now we are going to hit the trough, but after the trough, we're going to look at the peak. Mm. Uh, Jason Clark, so we haven't hit the bottom yet. I, I don't personally. I don't think we have, but I, um, I think we are close. Yeah. Uh, just watching the manipulation of interest rates globally and uh, what's happening there with the levers that can be pulled. Um, I think Hong Kong market is at a 10-year low now, so that's uh, that's extraordinary. Mm. Um, yeah, I'd never have been predicting that. So that's that is a big, big pullback. So um, I think we're closer to the bottom um, than we just talked about. Uh, but what is is likely is any rebound, uh, whether the bottom is now or in a year, the rebound in markets, the available cash flow into markets from pension funds, consumers, uh, that bounce back you would not want to miss. Okay. Um, so if, if you're in cash or a guaranteed fund, you, you, you may be stuck or, or may miss the initial bounce. Um, that, you know, that everyone has to do their research and get comfortable with their portfolio. Mm. OK, uh, just a, a comment on our uh, Facebook page, uh, just from uh, Saki says, uh, uh, just a simple question, why can't the fund manager's fees not be reduced by half in light of their dismal performance? Well, I guess that's... Uh, that's something we'll get into um, another day, I guess, because uh, we're coming to the end of this part of the programme. Uh, we have to say uh, thank you to our guests. Thank you very much to Jason Clark, Director of uh, MPF Ratings. And thank you very much to Charles Brook, uh, Chairman of the Hong Kong Investment Funds uh, Association, who was with us before nine o'clock, and Cynthia Hoy, Acting Chief Operating Officer at the Mandatory Provident Funds Schemes Authority, was also with us before nine o'clock. And we just heard also from Andy Kwan, Director at the ACE Centre for Business and Economic Research. Uh, thanks to um, all of our guests uh, so far this morning. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233 8266 and have your say. And for the last uh, 10 minutes or so of this morning's programme, we're turning our attention to our second topic, and that is the uh, plastic uh, bag levy because um, the officials are, are planning to increase the uh, levy for uh, shops 
which hand out uh, plastic bags. Uh, uh, so customers will have to pay a dollar. That's from the end of uh, December this year. It's currently 50 cents, of course. And um, uh, we're joined uh, on the line to talk about this now by uh, Lian Tam, who's a Greenpeace campaigner. Good morning to you. Thanks very much for joining us. So, um, the ecology, sorry, the Environment and Ecology Bureau says it expects a 25% reduction in disposal of plastic bags once this measure takes effect. How effective do you think it's going to be? Mm, I think it might be effective at the beginning, mm -hmm. just similar to the 50 cents one, so people are more aware that they should not take the extra plastic bag. But when the time just passed, people may just think that, oh, just one dollar, then just spend it. Yeah. And that's why Greenpeace think that uh, the important thing is not continuously to increase the charge, but more importantly is to like narrow the exemption case and also have a comprehensive plan on how to reduce the single-use plastic. Because there was quite a debate about whether or not the levy should be increased to $2, but uh, you don't think that that would have made a, a, a lot of difference in the long run? Yeah, so money, or you can say economic incentive, is only one of the points. Mm -hmm. Another one is actually the businessman may also have some reaction to this. Maybe some uh, products will have extra packaging, or even worst case is uh, over-packaging for specific product so that uh, people can still uh, still get it without uh, getting an extra plastic bag. Right. So that is what we worry. Yes. Miss Tam, good morning. I'm, I also worry about this subject. I go to the supermarket every week and take lots of bags with me, that is, uh, reuse them all the time. Um, but when we get to the cashier's desk, they tend to wrap up a lot of products that are already packaged in, in more plastic. Yeah, and supermarket is this, uh, the one that we are very concerned to. So uh, you list out two problems. The first one is the product is already packaged. The second one actually is uh, people are aware that there would be free uh, the transparent fat. People can take it easily in the supermarket. These two points, we think that the government should tackle uh, rather than just increasing the uh, levy of the packaging bags. Right. Uh, yeah, you talked about uh, removing some of the levy exemptions. So, uh, yeah, could you explain a, a little further about that? So when we look at the uh, document that provides the government, there, the exemption somehow is have many great areas. They say that uh, if the bag is too small or less sufficient, you can give them one more. If there is a risk that any of the bags may break, uh, uh, the staff can give the customer one more bag. So I do think that there are many exceptions for, for, for this case, for this levy, so that uh, uh, the Hong Kong people, you you know that it's quite tricky. <laughs> so <laughs> some of them may not follow it, or they will have excuse when uh, when the EPT person or people challenge them. So I, I do think that it's the first step. You increase the price, uh, increase the levy, and there are an exception. For the next step, actually, is not only the shopping bags, but you have to deal with the single-use packaging right. in the market. Yeah, a comprehensive plan. 
So it's only one other step. I hope that uh, the government can can continue it. Right. I've noticed in particular that if you come up with a frozen product um, Mm -hmm. that's already packaged, that it immediately goes into a kind of protective extra layer of plastic uh, around it. So you might might have frozen fish or frozen chicken or something, but it will immediately, it won't just, it's already packaged, but it'll get an extra wrapping. Is, yeah. is, is that any way to attack that issue? Uh, for, for this time, uh, actually the government said that this is the accept, no more exceptional case for this kind of stuff, so that the frozen food and the trailer food, which are well packaged, will not provide a free shopping bag for the customer. Uh, but uh, at the same time, I think that the gray area is like airtight or, well, the word that well packaged somehow is uh, is hard to follow. So uh, I think that, uh, the government should have uh, more education on this one. And also the businessmen or uh, the staff would be like high order free shopping bags. Uh, no more free shopping bags to offer in the shop area. Hmm. So do you, are you planning to work with the supermarket chains or, or educate the staff at, at the checkout? Yeah, actually Greenpeace have continuously to uh, encourage, or you can see, have some pressure on the supermarket, ask them to provide a packaging-free product for the customers to choose. Because we noticed that, um, like the rice or noodles are packaged, but the fruit, like apples or orange, I don't know why they will have extra layers of plastic wrap or the foam or even a uh, plastic container just for two apples. So we are asking the supermarkets to remove those uh, unnecessary packaging for our fruits to just give us a simple one, a clean one is okay. Is, is, okay. Could, the, could the individual customers, could we be educated to bring with us things that might remove the incentives for the supermarket? Mm, uh, I, I do think that the education is important and also the economic incentives like uh, extra levy charge on, on the uh, free shopping bags is essential. So that's why uh, Greenpeace is also asking a comprehensive uh, plastic-free uh, journey of uh, how to ban the single-use plastic. Because uh, you can see that if customers have choice, they may think it. Like if I, if there is a choice in supermarket, some product is packaging fee. Actually, you can choose to buy those products. It's a step, or it's also education for the customers to do it. Yeah, so I do think that the business side have to somehow change their single-use packaging business model, mm-hmm. and and then the customer have can know that oh, actually we have a choice, and if we choose the packaging free one, we might have a big impact to the earth. What, what sort of response have you had from the supermarkets to your approaches? Uh, the first one is uh, we think that the supermarkets have to disclose like how much single-use packaging, single-use pl- 
plastic packaging that's used per year, and they will let the uh, customers know or let the public know. And also on the other side, they should have a pathway to how to phase out the single-use plastic. Because like the supermarket in U.S. or U.K., most of them are already promoting the reusable or packaging-free products. Like the UK one, uh, collaborate with Loop. Some uh, product actually is stored in a reusable container. Uh, the customers can buy it, and then when they have consumed the product, they can return the container to the supermarket, and the the product can be packaging again. So I think that there is a lot of way to face out single-use plastic. Not only packaging free, no more packaging in the supermarket, but the packaging can also be reusable. So these are the ways that uh, the Western countries are trying. I do think that Hong Kong should be uh, have some new idea or new trial for these kinds of uh, environmental production right. stuff. So there are lessons we can learn from other places. Yeah, sure. It's involved. Mm. Okay, well, uh, thank you very much uh, for speaking to us uh, on the programme this morning about the uh, plastic bag levy and ways to uh, reduce uh, use of plastics. Uh, that was Lian Tam, you heard from, who's a campaigner with Greenpeace. Um, thank you to our listeners. Um, thanks very much uh, once again to you, Mike. Well, it's a good way to start the week. Okay, always a good way to start the week. Okay, uh, a quick uh, look at the weather before we go to the news summary and morning brew. Um, it's going to be mainly fine and very dry today. Uh, cooler in the morning and at night. Uh, top temperature around 28 degrees during the day. Moderate to fresh northeasterly winds, uh, strong offshore and on high ground. The outlook, mainly fine in the next few days. The temperature difference between day and night will be relatively large. Very dry during the day uh, tomorrow and on Wednesday. It'll be cooler in the morning and at night. Uh, currently, the temperature is 23 degrees. Humidity is at 55%. The red fire danger warning and the strong monsoon signals are in effect. From September 1st, 2022, the normal and the higher old age living allowances merges the old age living allowance. The merger adopts the more relaxed asset limits of the normal old age living allowance and the payment rate of the higher old age living allowance. It also applies to the Guangdong scheme and the Fuchen scheme. Existing recipients need not apply again. New applicants can also benefit from the merger. For more details, please call Social Welfare Department hotline at 2343-2255. The new summary with Ben Che. The hospital authority is expanding its remote consultation services so more patients can benefit, especially in rural areas. A chief manager with the hospital authority, Michael Wong, also told RTHK that it was eventually hoping to provide delivery of medicine to patients so they won't have to leave home. North Korea says its recent missile tests were tactical nuclear drills. The state media said all seven were personally supervised by the North Korean leader, Kim Jong-un. And President